Christmas tunes that you know. Kids, parents, if you know, please sing along. We'll get started with Rudolph, the Red Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph, the Red Nosed Reindeer, had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never left for Rudolph. Join in any Now we're going to slow it down. Danielle's going to take it away. There it is. Yep. Just like the ones I used to know. Sing a song, one of my favorite Christmas songs, I am. But we need to help sing it. Here we go. 
was awesome. Hey, do me a favor. Stay standing if you would. Hey, by the way, Merry Christmas. My name is Chris Zarba. I'm the lead pastor here at Kensington Church. We want to welcome you. We had a lot of great fun songs for kids. We want to continue that fun. I've asked you to stay standing because we're going to play a game that we're calling Christmas Face Off. And so here's how it goes. You'll notice that to your left, uh, there's Camel Face. And to your right, there's King Face. So there's going to be a question asked. And it's, the rules are very simple. If you, think the, if you think the answer is to the left, you turn to the left. If you think the answer is to the right, you will physically turn to the right. You only have five seconds to do so. There is no warm-up, and there is a prize. So who's ready to play? All right, let's go to the first question. Uh, what is the most popular Christmas treetop? If you think it's angel, turn to the left. If you think it's a star, turn to the right. You have five seconds to decide. All right, time is up. Please do not move. And the correct answer actually is Angel. If you get it wrong, have a seat. If you get it right, stay standing. Look at question number two. What year was It's a Wonderful Life released? Turn to the left for 1946. Turn to the right for 1942. You have five seconds to decide. All right, time is up. No more moving. And the actual answer is 1946. If you get it wrong, have a seat. If you get it right, remain standing for question three. Question three, in which country was eggnog invented? Turn to the left for Switzerland. Turn to the right for Britain. Five seconds. All right, time is up. No moving. The answer is Britain. Have a seat if you get it wrong. Stay standing for your fourth question if you're still in the game. Here it is. Who has the best-selling Christmas album? Is it left, Mariah Carey? Is it right, Josh Groban? Five seconds, go. Time is up. Nobody move. The answer actually is Josh Groban. Just by a little bit. All right, so I look around the room. I only see like four or five people left. So if you get this next answer right, you'll get your prize. Here's the last question. How many top 40 Christmas songs mention Jesus? Is it to the left, less than five? Is it to the right, more than 10? Five seconds. All right, time is up. The answer actually is less than five. Less than five. So... I see that there's about four or five people that are still standing up. Do me a favor. Everybody, give these guys a huge round of applause, if you would, please. Yeah, very good. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that round of applause, winners, because that was your prize, actually. So, so but didn't that feel good? Woo, good job. Yay. Everybody's clapping for me. Uh, good job. Hey, uh, I just want to go ahead and say that uh, of, of the five, I, I actually put on there less than five uh, Christmas songs actually are about Jesus. Do you know the real number is only one? Out of the top 40 Christmas, most popular Christmas songs on the charts, only one of them is about Jesus. We decided to theme this Christmas service, December 25th, just another day. And it was, it was uh, centered around, or it birthed from the single question, what if Jesus were never born? Think about that. The implications of what if Jesus never came 
to the earth. And so how many of you have ever seen the movie called It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand. All right. So if you've seen that, that's kind of the idea. You know, I wish I was never born. Then we go into that journey, see the impact. So that's the reason why we called it this. And and really, if you look at all the Christmas music that takes over the radio waves, uh, this one song that talks about Jesus or it's about Jesus almost stands alone as the only sliver of evidence that we are here, in fact, because there was a baby born 2,000 years ago who claimed to be the Son of God. It's the reason why we're here. And if you're wondering what that song is, it's this one right here. Hey, Mom. Hi, 
Jason. How are you? Did I catch you at a bad time? Nope, just sitting down enjoying some leftover Chinese food. It's so late and leftovers. Hon, are you doing okay? Doing fine, Mom. What's up? Well, I'm calling to confirm that you'll be home in time for Christmas Eve dinner. It's in two weeks, you know. Yep, I'm planning on it. I got a flight scheduled for 3.30. You couldn't get an earlier flight. Mom, we talked about this, remember? I have that video conference meeting in Los Angeles. On Christmas Eve? Can't they move it? <laughs> no, Mom, they can't. It's, um, it's complicated. Well, okay. We're eating promptly at 6. You know how your dad hates eating late. Yep, I'll do my best, okay? And uh, we didn't get a Christmas card from you yet. Oh, about that. Um, I'm not planning on sending one this year. That's too bad. Your sister sent a fabulous card with a picture of Jack and the kids. I just love it. Yep, got that one too. Beautiful, isn't it? Sure. Very thoughtful. Oh, and don't forget, you have your sister's secret Santa, so get her something nice. She loves Michael Kors. Maybe a handbag or something. Yeah, yeah, Mama. Hey, I, I didn't forget. Um, hey, listen, I gotta go. Oh, that's right. Your sweet and sour chicken is probably getting cold. Yeah. Bye, Mom. Bye, Jason. Love you. Shoot, totally forgot about the Secret Santa thing. Hey, Siri, Michael Kors, handbags. Okay, here's what I found. Oh, great. $250 for a handbag? Oh, I hate Christmas shopping. Oh. Hey, Claire. Why didn't you respond to my text? Yo, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I sent you at least a dozen text messages today, and you don't even have the decency to respond you to know, me. You know, I've been working a lot lately. Yeah, I know. It's always work first with you, isn't it? Come on, Claire. Let's not go there. As much as I like arguing with my former wife. But we need to talk about the kid's schedule, Jason. I have them Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you have them Tuesday, Thursday, and well, Saturday. Wait, I have them Thursday? Yes, and that is why I'm calling. No. You have them no. Thursday. I have my family's Christmas on Friday. I can't take them on Thursday. I'm scheduled to be in Atlanta on Thursday. Ha! There it is. Work first. Come on, Claire. Never mind. I'll figure it out. I just thought you'd like to see your kids around the holidays. Anyway, when are you doing Christmas with the kids? The 23rd. I'm doing Christmas the 23rd. You know, I have a pretty good day planned for them. Yeah? Yeah. We're going ice skating down at Campus Martius. Mm-hmm. Do some hot cocoa. I'm taking them out to dinner. Mm-hmm. Then we're heading over to the Fox Theater to see Elf in the Musical. I got box seats. Huh. That actually sounds wonderful. Yeah. Did you buy their be. presents yet? Yep. And they're going to be very excited this year. I got uh, Sydney a, a Lululemon jacket. And I got Michael that LED hoverboard he's been eyeing. <sighs> You're going to have to take those back. What? I already got him the LED board. And Sydney doesn't even like Lulu anymore. Great. Now what am I going to do? That was one of my text messages earlier. They're Christmas list. Claire, I don't have time to take these really, gifts back. Really, Jason? No time. No, I, I'm traveling a ton with work, and next week is a stupid Christmas party, and they volunteered me to do decorations. <laughs> you? Decorations? <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not funny. I'm, it's actually stressing me out. <laughs> you know what, Jason? I got to go. Sydney needs help with her homework. All right. Well, you know what? Tell the kids that I... Claire... That I love them. Great. All right now, what seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. I hate Christmas! Oh.
most wonderful time of the year, my butt. You know, sometimes, sometimes I wish Christmas never happened. Oh. What was that? Oh, it's Claire again. Hey, Claire. Wow! Jason? Hey, hey, Claire. Um, Jason? Hey, um, wow. Really, something strange is going on here. And, okay. And, and I, I, I still can't take the kids on Thursday. But I don't need you to take the kids on Thursday. What? Wait a minute. I'm confused. Aren't you taking the kids to your parents' house on Friday? No, I have work <laughs> on Friday. Anyway, I'm calling to let you know that the kids and I will be going away for a few days. And when is that? The 23rd through the 27th. Of December? Yeah, I got this no. amazing opportunity no. to stay at Disney for free and could not pass it No, up. you can't do that. Why not? There is nothing going on. You're always working and the weather is just terrible. No. Claire, you're taking my kids away at Christmas. They're our kids. What are you even talking about, The Jason? 23rd. You're taking my kids away on the 23rd. I thought I was doing you a it's just four days. Please just no, calm down no, a bit. We can work out the details no, later. No, I have a great day planned for them, Claire. I gotta go. No, wait, Claire, don't hang up. Don't hang. And she hangs up. What is going on? Hey, Mom. Jason, you seem upset. Is everything okay? No, it's not okay. I, I can't find my tree, and Claire is taking the kids to Disney. Your tree? And Disney? That sounds wonderful. What? I don't know why you're so upset. Did I catch you at a bad time? No, I mean, Mom, we just talked. When? What? Anyway, your dad and I were going through some boxes and found a bunch of things that belong to you, and we're wondering, what do you want us to do with them? Can we talk about this when I come home? And when is that? Christmas Eve. I'm coming home Christmas Eve. I have no idea what you're talking about. The 24th, Mom. We just talked about this. Well, if you're coming home on the 24th, that would have been nice to know. Your dad and I will be in Florida. You should have called first, hon. I did. Are you okay, Jason? Are you coming down with something? Hey, Mom, can I, about you. can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you and Dad put the tree in the great room or the living room this year? Why would I put a tree in our house? That's the oddest question. So, what do you want us to do with your things? Um, you know, I don't know. Can I call you back? Well, sure, but don't wait too long. You know how your dad hates clutter. <laughs> Bye, Jason. Bye, Mom. And repaired it with only oh, flex tape. Cycling around nicely. Welcome back oh, to the feud, everybody. Oh no, this, this is not happening. Hey, this is Claire. Leave a message. Hey, Claire, it's Jason. Um, hey, I don't know what's going on. I mean, my, my parents are going to Florida now, and they're not even expecting me. And my tree is missing, and now you taking the kids. You know, I really had a great day planned for them. At least I thought I did. Anyway, I really want to spend that day with them. So uh, give me a call back.
you imagine for a moment if Christmas were never a part of your life? Imagine every family gathering that you've ever had that never happened. Every gift that you've ever received in your whole life or every gift that you've ever given. Think about every tradition or family tradition that you're a part of or have been a part of in the past. Uh, Think about this. No Christmas lights. No magic. No trees. If all of it were gone, sure, the hecticness would be gone, but can you even imagine such a thought? Um, Christmas for my, for my family has always been hectic ever since I was little. Um, my mom and dad, met, dad were divorced, so we did two Christmases there, but we also had two other Christmases at my grandmother's house on either side. So I did four Christmases as a child growing up. And then the Christmas holiday has never slowed down for me, even now. After nine Christmas services, uh, three more to go after this one, um, I'll, I'll actually wake up on Christmas morning, open gifts at noon, drive home to Ohio, go to my brother-in-law's for dinner, come back home, open cr- presents at grandma and grandpa's house, and then head over to uh, another brother-in-law, do dinner there, and then the next day have the Zarba gathering where they all regather just because the Michigan Zarbas are driving in, and then that night have a gift exchange with my friends at the Waffle House. So it is completely hectic. Well, the idea that all of that would go away is unfathomable. Well, let me, let me ask you this question. What if we took it, took it one step further? What if we were to say, what if Jesus were never born at all? Certainly that would eliminate all of our Christmas things, but what if there were, was no manger, no shepherds, no kings, no Joseph, no Mary, no baby Jesus? There would be no peace on earth or goodwill toward men. But more importantly, there would be no Jesus coming into the world to bring salvation for all humanity. And let me ask you this question. If Jesus were never born, how would that change our world today? What would be the impact on our society? What would actually change? I think the ripple effects of that question are too much to think about because I think the implications may be bigger than we think. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus was never born? More than likely, it's a question that has never entered most of our minds. So let me try another question. What impact did Jesus leave on culture, history, and the world? At first, you might think to yourself, not a whole lot. But as we investigate the impact of this baby born over 2,000 years ago, the answer to the question, what if Jesus was never born, may surprise you. Let's start with the obvious, the easy stuff, Christmas. After all, it is called Christ Mass. Without the birth of Jesus, December 25th would just be another winter day. No Rudolph, no Jingle Bells, and come to think of it, no Santa. Don't worry kids, Santa is alive and well. What about music? Who would Carrie Underwood plead to to take the wheel? And what about movies? Can you imagine the movie Talladega Nights without Ricky Bobby's heartfelt prayer? Dear Tiny Infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. It's amazing how many movies use the story of Jesus to influence their own narrative. Believe it or not, even Frozen parallels this amazing story. In his book, Who Is This Man?, John Orberg describes it this way. Elsa craves freedom. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Is cast out and creates hell. 
just with ice instead of fire. And her little sister, Anna, she's Elsa's Christ-like redeemer who is wounded for Elsa's sins, dies, or freezes, to save her sister and is resurrected. Sound familiar? Without Jesus, would the cross be as recognized around the world? It marks more graves, graces more jewelry, and sits atop more churches than any other design. His influence has swept over history, bringing his inspiration to influence art, science, government, medicine, and education. He has taught humans about dignity, compassion, forgiveness, and hope. Jesus changed how we think about our week. Remember the Beatles song, Eight Days a Week? Well, there was a time when that was the case. By the end of the third century, Rome's old eight-day week had been replaced by the seven-day calendar of Israel and the church. Orberg puts it this way. 2,000 years after his birth, every time any human being anywhere on the planet looks at the date, we were reminded daily that Jesus Christ and no other has become the hinge of history. Jesus was a carpenter, but later became a teacher and a rabbi. He was asked in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus added the word mind. Monasteries became places of great learning. A Jesus follower named Benedict collected so many ancient manuscripts that he became known as the godfather of libraries. From monasteries came universities. The first university was established in Paris around the 12th century and Oxford and Cambridge began in the 13th. These were all begun by followers of Jesus so people could love God with all their minds. Jesus lived a brief life in an obscure provincial male-dominated culture. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, there was a huge shortage of women, about 140 men for every 100 women. Yikes. What happened to the other women? Well, they were left to die when they were born the wrong sex. But Jesus puts a high value on women Check out the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and one other person found in the Gospel of John. It is in the heat of the day next to a well with a Samaritan woman. He had a deep theological personal discussion with her. He took her seriously, her mind and opinions and questions. Later in chapter 4 it states, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Jesus was doing something very subversive. Is it possible that ripples went out from that one life that have affected and still speak to women today? Before the life of Jesus, if someone was sick or if a plague was taking over a nation, the hurting and the ill were simply thrown into the streets where they would wait to perish. But there was a community that remembered they followed a man who would touch lepers while they were unclean, who told his disciples to go heal the sick. In the early centuries of the church, leprosy meant isolation and death. A church father named Basil had an idea. What if we build a place to love and care for the lepers? That was the beginning of what would come to be known as hospitals. In the fourth century, the Council of Nyssa decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a place of caring for the sick and poor. Whenever you see the Red Cross or hear the bells of the Salvation Army, you are experiencing the thumbprint of Jesus. Whenever you say the words, World Vision or YMCA, or Compassion International, you are speaking, know it or not, of the movement of Jesus. Jesus brought a new way of thinking and living. Before Jesus, greatness was defined as power, riches, and the conquering of lands. Jesus defined greatness by humbling himself to wash his disciples' feet. In the Roman Empire, someone might be humbled by losing money or status or title. No one deliberately humbled himself until Jesus.
Forgiveness is not a natural act. In the 1982 movie, Conan the Barbarian, Arnold Schwarzenegger was asked the question, what is best in life? He responded, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. That is good. That is good. An alternative idea came from Galilee. Martin Luther King gave a speech in 1961 in the city of Detroit that captures this idea of forgiveness. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable, but because God loves them. You look at every man and you love him because you know God loves him and he might be the worst person you've ever seen. And this is what Jesus means, I think, in this very passage when he says, love your enemy. And it's significant that he does not say, like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus said, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. Before Jesus, was there a movement that actively sought to include every single human being, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, or gender? Was there an intention to pursue people, no matter their moral background, education, or income? Was there ever a belief to pursue all people to be loved and transformed? Not only had there never been a community like this before, but there simply had never been the idea of a community like this before. It was Jesus' idea. When Jesus was born, it was heaven invading earth. When someone volunteers somewhere to help a left out child learn to read or confess holding a grudge against another and instead seeks to forgive or gets an idea to be generous with their money and actually does so or defends the rights of a vulnerable woman or treats an overlooked nobody with dignity, these are not man's ideas. These are God's ideas. And Jesus showed the world the heart of the Father. So let me ask you another question. What if Jesus was never born? What would your world be like? Pretty compelling, isn't it? Uh, a lot of that information comes from John Orpog's book, Who Is This Man? And you can read... Uh, a lot more than just that. And uh, so there's three impossible truths that we're going to be talking about today. And here's the first one. That it is impossible to live a life untouched by the life of Jesus. Uh, my wife works at Troy Beaumont Hospital. And every time that she drives to work, I tell her, every time you pull up, just know that that building is only there because of the movement that Jesus started. It's unbelievable to think about. So let's put that theory to test, shall we? Uh, you can raise your hand and put it back down. Raise your hand if you've ever been a patient in a hospital. Anybody? Okay, that's most of us. Uh, how many of you have ever been taught by someone that humility is something to actually strive for? Anybody? Was lucky enough to be taught that? How many of you were actually taught uh, to forgive those people who are mean to you regardless of how they act? Anybody? Okay, how many of you have ever been to grad school or to college beyond uh, high school education? Okay, and then we'll, we'll, gra we'll grab everybody on this one. How many of you have ever looked at a calendar once in your life? Anybody? All right, very good. That's everybody. All right. 
So, so it is impossible to live a life untouched by Jesus. And even though many of us will try to go, well, we won't try, but we think we go through our lives and we would say, well, I probably fall in the category of somebody non-religious. We don't go to church. We don't pray a lot. I don't go around things of church. You know, in fact, it's a miracle I'm here. I go through my life and I'm untouched by the life of Jesus. And yet what we realize today, it is literally impossible to go through your life untouched by the life of Jesus. I remember when I was younger, believe it or not, this is so embarrassing, but I was a sophomore in high school before I really cared enough to ask anybody who was either religious or, or, or churchy to explain to me the difference between Christmas and Easter. And they had to explain to me that Christmas is the birth of Jesus and Easter is actually celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And before that time, I always saw religious things, but I never bothered to even, uh, you know, clarify them in my mind. I know that's radically embarrassing, even as a pastor. I remember when I was younger, about maybe eight years old or so, I was driving in the back seat of a station wagon. It was the back, back, back seat. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you love the, the seat that faces the opposite way? Anybody? Our station wagon had wood paneling on the side. We were the hippest station wagon. I mean, it was just awesome. So, I was in the back, 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 and I remember uh, pulling up to a light, and there was a nativity scene. I don't even remember where it was, like a church or a, or a house or something. And I remember saying out loud to my four older brothers and my mom and dad who were in the car, and I said, hey, what's that? And I remember somebody, it was probably one of my older brothers, yelled out, something that's not important. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, well, it's not important. And so I just remember for years after that, just seeing things that involved Jesus and religion, but I just never cared. I mean, we would pop in and out of the Catholic Church for Christmas and Easter, but never really paid attention or understood much and didn't really care to know. But what's amazing is, is as much as I tried to avoid it, there was no way that I could live a life untouched by it. And so it was confirmed for me uh, about Jesus' birth and, and it being tied to Christmas. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are over 456 prophecies that tell about the time when Jesus was born. The Apostle Paul refers to it this way in Galatians chapter 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come. Uh, Let me just pause there and talk about that phrase. Another version says, when the time that uh, was set arrived or when the perfect time arrived. And basically what that means is for thousands of years, the world was waiting for this predicted or prophesied savior or the Messiah. We believe the Bible is true. And in the beginning, it says when God created humanity, that that there was no sin, but sin eventually entered into the world. And when that happened, uh, you know, then, then a lot of bad came from it. The book of Romans says that even today, that you and I live in a world that is under the bondage of decay. And, and even, even death is a result of sin. And we live in a broken world today. And there was a sin problem. And so therefore, after that happened, God had predicted and so many prophets had prophesied and said, one day God's going to solve the sin problem. One day he's going to send a savior that comes in the world that's going to wipe out the sin problem altogether. And so imagine the long awaiting time 
So that's all of that is, is captured in that phrase when the fullness of time had come. Let me say one more thing. When Jesus came, not only was it the perfect time to fulfill all the prophecies, but also circumstantially, when Rome had taken over the world and had developed a road system where people could actually travel from one city to the other. Uh, at that time, Greek became the universal language. No other time in history, like, like you know, before that time, where there was a language where regardless of your mother tongue, everybody learned Greek, which is why the Bible was written in Greek, the, most of the New Testament, because it was the universal language. The world was perfectly prepared for Christ. So Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, capital L. And by the way, that means uh, following the rules of the Old Testament. Everybody just tried to obey and behave and be good to get into a right standing with God before Jesus. But when Jesus came, he took care of all of that. He changed the whole system. But they were born under the law, following, trying to be good in their sin. And it says this, He came so that, and those two Greek words, so that, in the Greek mean together, for the purpose of. Jesus came, he was born, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, which is you and me, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Do you know what it means to redeem something? Like when you redeem a coupon for an item at a grocery store, you exchange it and you actually receive something of value at, at the expense of something else. And Jesus came to pay a price to purchase us, so to speak, so that we might receive freely and, you know, as a gift, what? The ability to be adopted into the family of God, to be called sons and daughters of God. What do you have to do to be adopted? The answer is nothing, to be loved unconditionally. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. When the perfect time in history had come, Mary gave birth to what you know got, came from God. And when Jesus came on the scene, he came at the perfect time to fulfill the law, to do away with the law so that you and I can be freely accepted into the, to the, to the family of God through the price that Jesus paid. And make no mistake of it, Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day 2,017 years ago for one reason, so he can grow up and live a sinless life and to die on a cross to pay for your sins and mine fully and finally. Every sin you've ever done or will ever do, Jesus did not want us to pay this price. He changed the system so that we no longer have to obey the law to get to heaven. That's ludicrous to behave ourselves into heaven. That's not what the Bible says at all, and yet somehow most people believe a version of that truth. The Bible says you don't get your way to heaven by believing. The opposite is true. No matter how well you behave, you don't have a shot at heaven. That we simply believe in the price that was done for us on the cross to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, those prophecies that I mentioned, uh, here's the question. Uh, what, are the, what are the odds that one person could actually fulfill 456 prophecies written by dozens of prophets over the span of hundreds of years who lived at different times and did not know one another? And you know what the answer is? The answer is no one knows. Because for the last 2,000 years, expert mathematicians, people who don't even have faith, and, and, and other people have tried to calculate those odds. Uh, One of the most popular studies was done by a professor at Westmont College who got together uh, over 600 college students and 12 different classes and expert mathematicians to calculate the odds. And here's what he came up with. He just chose eight of the prophecies. And I want to make sure you hear me that right. Not 456, just eight of them. 
of the major prophecies, prophecies that included uh, what Jesus' ancestry would be like, who he was related to, uh, what, what town a person would be born in, uh, uh, actions, prophecies describing hundreds of actions that he did, uh, prophecies describing the exact nature of his death and the authorities, their reactions, and all the circumstances that played out that would be beyond a person's control. Just eight of those prophecies, to name a few. And here's what he calculated. He said, in order for a person just to fulfill eight of those, it'd be 10 to the 17th power. And to give you an idea of how big that number is with 17 zeros, he said it would be equivalent to this mathematical equation. Imagine you were to fill the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. Okay, can you imagine? You heard me correctly. The whole state with two feet full of silver dollars. Okay, and then take one of those silver dollars, mark an X on it and shuffle the whole thing up and then blindfold a man and then tell him to walk any distance he chooses to reach down and pick up a silver dollar. The odds of him choosing the right one are the odds that one man will fulfill just eight of those prophecies. They tried to figure out 46 of those prophecies. They figured out something close to 10 to the 157th power, considerably more. And then one mathematician actually tried to do all 456 prophecies and said, and I want to get this right. He said, somewhere in my calculations close to one chance in a trillion, 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 is what he estimated. Very conservatively, he said, he might add. So the professor at Westmont College concludes this, that any person that denies Jesus as the Son of God is denying a fact perhaps proved more absolutely than any other fact in human history. The second impossibility statement is simply this. It is impossible to ignore the miraculous birth of Jesus. Because even if you're a person that doesn't have faith at all and you refuse to believe, any scientist or mathematician looks at those odds and says that is something that cannot be ignored. You have to pay attention to something like that, right? Because this one story has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Even our children today still know the story of this birthday the most anticipated birthday and for all of eternity as we look back on it, as they were looking forward to it. I'm about to show you a video of a children's version of Jesus's uh, birthday from Luke chapter two. But before I show that to you, we're gonna take just a moment and we're gonna receive our offering in our service this morning or this afternoon. Just wanna say, hey, if you're visiting here today, this moment isn't designed to give you any pressure. Uh, by the way, when you give to our general fund, it doesn't just go to helping people here in this area. Uh, we, we're drilling uh, clean water for, uh, for 500,000 Kenyans in, in Africa. Uh, we ship thousands of Bibles to people who desperately want it in Afghanistan and Cuba. Uh, we've started 1,000 churches, brand new churches that have launched just this year alone through your regular giving and generosity, which of course was Jesus's idea. So we're always careful to say this. Thank you for giving. Thank you for believing what Jesus says about giving back to what he's blessed us with. And most importantly, thank you for trusting us and our leadership with your gift. So as that's happening and as that's passing, please do not miss this video as we hear what the Christmas story is like through the eyes of children. came to see Mary. She was doing laundry and then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. 
So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're gonna have what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. <laughs> so Mary... And Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angel said, A new baby is getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel was singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold ring and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. And that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> I got to thank Southland Christian Church for that video. They produced it. Uh, but what a great video. Uh, well, that's not exactly how it happened, although it was pretty close. Let's take just a few minutes to actually read the actual recorded account in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. It says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. And by the way, that's in there only to prove that Jesus was born through the ancestry of King David on Joseph's side and actually through a different way, even through Mary's side. Uh, And so anyway, it says, he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And by the way, let me pause there and say, when it said the time came for the child to be born, that that, that word time came is actually very similar to the words we read in the fullness of time had come. When it says she laid him in a manger, did you know that the manger is actually another word for a feeding trough for animals? Uh, We believe that Jesus was born actually in a cave. It wasn't a nice, pretty, you know, structured barn. Uh, In Israel, there's thousands of caves and structures uh, would be placed next to caves and all the animals, and even still today, are in these wonderful, I've been inside of them, just these great caves. Uh, and, And so again, Jesus was laid in a feeding trough, probably in the middle of a cave. And then it says this, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, which is the number one commandment in all the Bible, by the way. The most common commandment is fear not. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I imagine it to be very impressive. And it says they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You know, one of the best things about this story is Jesus could have come in any fashion that he wanted with with grandeur and trumpets, been born of royalty And with supernatural feats and acts, he could have showed himself to anybody that he chose, to politicians or leaders or kings even. And yet the Bible says that the angels appeared to shepherds who, by the way, were considered the lowest profession available. Let's face it, there's not a lot of skill in watching sheep, right? The lowest profession available, often by teenagers, the the youngest in the family. That's who Jesus or or God the Father, I suppose, sent angels to announce the birth of Jesus. And then the Bible says that that he was born, you know, most likely in a cave, definitely laid in a feeding trough because there was no room in any type of housing structure or any guest room in any type of hotel or inn. You know, it's amazing to me how the reason why Jesus chose this is because, honestly, it's congruent to the very message of the gospel and it's actually reflective of his very lifestyle, that he came to serve humanity. And in humility, even his, the story of his birth is in 100% complete humility. And this one story has changed the lives of more people than any other story in history. 
And let, by the way, that's the one thing that you cannot explain away. If you're a skeptic like me, and, and I'm, by the way, I'm a huge, huge skeptic, and maybe you consider yourself agnostic, maybe you decide, hey, forget the mathematical odds, I'm just going to choose not to believe it anyway, just because I'm going to defy the odds. I'm going to try to explain away the virgin birth, I'm going to explain away the things that cannot be proven, I deny all those things. Go ahead, explain all those things away if you want to. But there is one thing that you can never explain away that is evidenced before you. And that is the billions and the billions of lives that have been supernaturally and radically changed by Jesus Christ. The lives that have been changed by him through the generations since his birth. How can that many people and that many lives, how can that many lives be supernaturally changed? Can everybody be wrong? Regardless of where they live, what nationality they are, what generation they, they are a part of, what age they are, what gender they are, whatever creed they are, whatever it is. How come billions of people believe in and then they have their lives changed by Jesus Christ? Uh, the third impossible statement is simply this. It's impossible to remain unchanged after you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's impossible to remain unchanged because that's what God does. Did you know that today that 85% of the world's population of the 7.6 billion people on the planet believe that there's a God? And if you take all the Christians and the other people that recognize Jesus' deity, that actually 57% of the world's population currently today recognizes Jesus as the Son of God and most of them claim him as the foundation of their faith. You see, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God. And if you believe that, and you believe the Christmas story for what it is, then he has the ability to change your life and mine. So I thought about this question. Where would I be if Jesus were never born? If Jesus was never born, where would I actually be? And I think I thought about it long enough. I think I know the answer. And it's really one word. It's jail. That's where I'd be, jail. And those of you who know me know that I'm not kidding. I came from a really rough town, from a rough side of town, across a couple set of railroad tracks in Youngstown, Ohio. Our family owned a bar. Uh, there was drugs in my house, alcoholism, vandalism. My older brothers were kind of wannabe gang members. There was jail. There was juvenile for me. All these different things. I know where I'd be headed. I know where I would be without Jesus. And it's probably AA or jail or both. And I got to tell you something. I thought about the things that I could communicate to you. And, and there's really four categories. Here's the first one. Because of Jesus, I now know who I am. And here's what I mean. Without Jesus, uh, I used to let other people define my self-esteem. I used to get my self-esteem and my self-worth, and I allowed myself to be defined by others around me. Uh, I used to try to me measure up my self-worth uh, uh, you know, by my uh, ability to do my job well or maybe by my financial status, or how much I could accomplish. And when those things were good, I was great. When those things were bad, I was bad. But now that I know Jesus, here's what I know, that the one who created me is the only one who has the power to tell me who I really am. And regardless of my past, the Bible says I'm forgiven. God says that I am loved, and I, have of, I am of intrinsic worth and value to my God. And regardless of what anybody else says, even my family, even those closest to me, I am now my identity and I'm defined by what God says. God says, I am righteous in his eyes, not because of my deeds or my actions, because I'm just as imperfect as you. It's only because Jesus Christ has forgiven me fully. 
Here's the second thing. Not only do I know who I am, but I know why I'm here on this planet. I know why I'm here because Jesus promises for us to discover a life of significance and blessing and abundant life. But you know, without Jesus, I already know what I would have done. I would have went out and made a ton of money. I already know that's true. And I, and I would have spent my life acquiring wealth and accomplishing things. And like so many other people who have acquired fame, wealth, and everything else, you get to the end of your life and you ask the same question. Everybody does, every decade, every generation, on every continent. When they arrive, they say this, I just thought it was going to be different. There has to be more to life than this. And those of you who've acquired that amount of wealth think exactly the same thing. And why is it? Because C.S. Lewis says, because there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every man and woman, and only God can fill it. When you, when, you, when you climb the ladder to realize the ladder is leaning against the wrong building, when you get to the end of your life wanting your life to matter or to mean something, Jesus says, it, by, by, by believing in him and hearing the promises of God, we can live a life filled with purpose and abundant blessing and significance. Here's the third thing. Um, Not only do I know who I am and I know why I'm here, but I know true hope. And you know that my hope is not tied to circumstances. It's not tied to the to the result of a diagnosis. Uh, It's not it's not tied to a loss even. And I got to be honest with you. I don't know how people do it without Jesus. I mean, my, my, my hope is not tied to a pink slip or a bad circumstance or financial blessings. It's, it, that's, that's not a part of it. My hope is now tied to the promises of God that are given to me that I anchor my faith in. And without Jesus, if Jesus were never born, I don't know where my hope would be. And you know what true hope actually gives you? True hope gives you peace when it doesn't make sense. True hope gives you joy when it doesn't make sense and the ability to love unconditionally when otherwise you would never be able to do it. And then finally, here's the fourth thing, is that I now know the, the uh, what do I want to say? I want to describe it as the, the changing power of God to help me overcome and have victory over every temptation, appetite, or addiction in my life. I now know the changing power of God because without God, I know what the wrestling match was like. But with Jesus, I now know that I'm not strong enough to overcome all the things in my life. I I am, you know, in seasons of my life, but other seasons, I'm not strong at all. Let me just take 30 seconds to unpack this idea for a second. I want to convince you, I'm going to give you a sales pitch to come back and check out a series in January we're calling Crave. It's one word, crave, because we named it that because it defines an appetite. Have you ever desired something that wasn't good for you? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but what's the point, (laughs) right? And it doesn't just include addictions, although it does cover addictions, but it's everything else. Do you know the definition of an appetite? The definition of an appetite is an appetite is never fully nor finally satisfied. And when you feed an appetite, it grows. When you starve an appetite, it shrinks. How in the world can we find a solution to have a better 2018? Aren't you tired? Don't you want to change? Are others around you pushing you and nudging you and saying, that might be something for you to check out? And you'd say, leave me alone, woman. You know, but when it comes down to it, we have to admit, right? These are things that are at least worth a shot. And when you come back and discover, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to say, I can't say no to what? I can't say no to your approval. That's a big one. I can't say no to the bottle. It's going to be huge. 
I can't say no to uh, digital devices. I can't say no to my own body. We're going to cover these things in January because we can't cover it here tonight or, or today. So here's what we decided to do. We built the entire month of January to explore this together. And I implore you to come on back and give it a chance, especially if you want to see something different in your life. We have room for you here at Kensington Clinton Township. Uh, the last thing I want to tell you is this, that I remember the day that I believed in and put my faith in Jesus when I was uh, a sophomore in high school, May 15th, 1985. It was about 5.30 in the afternoon. And actually my buddy who took me out to dinner pulled in my driveway, parked the car, and he actually asked me about Christmas and Easter. That was the guy who told me the difference between Christmas and Easter. And you know what he said? I remember to this very day, he said, salvation is like a Christmas gift. And he gave me an illustration. He took off his watch. It was a very expensive watch. And he said, hold this watch. He said, what if I were to you know, buy you this watch for Christmas? He said, I would go out. I would shop. I would earn the money. I would spend the money. I'd buy it. I'd take it home. I'd gift wrap it. I would do all the work. And then I'd present it to you as a gift. And the only thing that you would need to do is just reach out and take it. And then he said, go ahead. Reach out and take the watch. So I reached out and I took it. And I said, can I have the watch? He's like, no, give me it back. It was just an illustration. I was like, oh, fine. So then he took it back and he said, listen, Chris, salvation is the same way. We don't get to heaven by jumping through hoops or going to church. That's ludicrous. That's a conditional love. The Bible says the opposite of that. We get to heaven by believing everything that Jesus has done for us, believing and trusting in him. And if we believe it, then we accept it like reaching out and pulling in an absolutely free, unconditional gift. And so he said, would you like to pray and just trust God today? And I said, yes, I would. And so we prayed, we prayed right there in the passenger seat of a 1979 rusted out Ford Pinto. I remember praying something like this, God, as best as I know how, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. I believe that you died on a cross. I believe you were born on Christmas, raised on Easter. I believe you died so that I don't have to pay for all of my sins or mistakes. I just prayed something like that. Listen, the Bible says it's not a formulated prayer. It's not a reciting prayer that you have to recite. It is actually the intent and thought and, 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 and the, 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 the desire of your heart. In fact, the Bible even says with childlike faith, you pray this sort of prayer. And so maybe for you, today's the day. Maybe for you, even during our next candle lighting moments, maybe you, in the quietness of your mind and heart, would pray something like that. And if you decide that Jesus is the Son of God, that Christmas is revolved around a miraculous birth of someone who can, wants to, and will change your life forever, in this life and the next, then I'll tell you something, today will be the best day of your life. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for this day and we ask your blessing on our time together. Lord, I pray that whatever next step that you're nudging us to, that we would have enough courage to take it. For many people today, maybe they're going to put their faith and trust and belief in you for the very first time. And then for many of us, you are nudging us to come back in January because, God, there is something that needs to change in our lives. There is something that we need to press into or resolve or explore. And I pray, God, that you would help us dare to believe that you are the Son of God and that you do want to change our lives and give us a life of significance, blessing, purpose, and love. 
And I pray, Father, that you would help us to take the next step in our faith journey with you, even tonight. We ask and pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this is the favorite, my favorite time of our service tonight. We're going to have our candle lighting moment, and I, I just want to encourage you to be okay with being in the dark for a few minutes, because this year, more than any other, thank you, uh, is a great symbol of what happened 2,000 years ago. God the Father, as the source of light, sent his only son into the world, and you know that the book of Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus came to this planet describes his birth as a world filled with darkness and Jesus coming in as a source of light and life. And as this candle gets passed eventually from from the one source all the way to this room, eventually this whole room will be lit. And maybe during this time, maybe you'll want to pray a prayer and put your faith and trust in Christ for the very first time. And you can do that. The invitation is for all of us to receive the light So maybe for you, as you receive the light, this is your moment. And for the rest of us, I pray that a couple things happen. Number one, that you'll do your best not to drip wax anywhere, of course. But when you get this light, to see it more than just something pretty because it's candlelight, but to actually see it as symbolic of this one man, Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, affecting the world through the centuries up until us today. As we sing, Oh, Holy Night, and as we reflect on that night so long ago that was so divine.
Savior, come let us adore the one who came for us. Glory in the highest, praise the name of Jesus, our King has come. Oh, come all ye faithful, bow before our Savior, come let us adore.
let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord, for He, for He alone is worthy. For He to look around and see just how beautiful this place is now that it's fully lit up with the light. In fact, hold these up just one more time. Look around you. Not only is this beautiful, but it's also incredibly symbolic. And listen, the meaning runs so deep. It's so rich. Understand this. The picture, the physical picture of what we're seeing right here is actually the revelation of God's will. That God's invitation, his will is for us, all of us, to invite the light into our lives. That, that should Christ should come in to not only reveal light and shadows in our lives, but also illuminate our paths and give us the right direction. That God would give us a light of hope in our lives. And whatever it looks like for you, whatever it means for you, I pray that God would make such an impression on you this evening or this afternoon that you might go home and say, I must take the next step, whatever it is that God is asking me to do. It's a beautiful picture of why Jesus came into the world. So I don't want you to blow wax on the first person in front of you, so cup your hands and let's blow these out together. All right. Okay, come on kids, blow them out. <laughs> a couple of them, there you go. Even some adults, yes, 30-year-olds. Who... Okay, like the kids in the video. Okay, hey, listen, uh, uh, this next song, we are taking it up a notch. Uh, grateful joy to the world. There's no other way for us to end our time together than this song right here. So let's sing it out together. I invite you, if you want to put your candles down and put your hands together, you can do that with us. Joy to the world. Joy to the world.
to see you back in January for our Crave series. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you, and Merry Christmas.